0: Psalm 100. I'm going to read a whole psalm today for your. Of course, it's a little bit short, you know, it's only five verses. Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is, he is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Father, as we uh, think about this time of the year where we uh, celebrate Thanksgiving, Lord, help us to remember that Thanksgiving is not just something that happened uh, 400 years ago to the pilgrims, but it should be the attitude of our hearts, Lord, during this Thanksgiving season. And really, it should be the attitude of our heart every day, too, not just one day a year. So, Lord, as I bring forth this message, and I uh, will give your people wisdom on uh, what to be thankful for. Lord, I pray that this message will penetrate our hearts and help us to ponder your goodness towards us, Lord, and the way that you take care of us. And uh, thank you for being with us, and uh, anoint this message, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before I get into the message, I shared this with you last week, or I should say last year at this time, and I wanted to share it with you again because it's so relevant. And it's a quote by William Law in his book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. William Law writes in that book, would you know who is the greatest saint in the world? It is it is not he who prays most or fasts most. It is not he who gives most alms or is most eminent for temperance, chastity or justice, but it is he who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. Could you therefore work miracles, you could not do more for yourself than by this thankful spirit, for it turns all that it touches into happiness. This time of the year, we usually think of that first Thanksgiving. And we've all heard the story, so I don't need to rehash it. I'll simply say that the pilgrims who instituted that first Thanksgiving were thankful just to have the ability to survive the coming winter because God had sent into their lives a group of kind Native Americans who showed them how to survive in this new land that they found them in. And it was so significant because that first year that they were there, over half of them died. And now they had the means whereby they would continue to be there. The bottom line on this first Thanksgiving is that it was their Thanksgiving. Right? Their Thanksgiving. But what about your Thanksgiving? What does thanksgiving mean to you? And what are you thankful for? Today, I'm thankful for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this whole concept of the cross is going to underlie everything that I'm going to have to say in this message. Because the cross was a tangible thing. Represented here and in our homes. Sometimes it's a hunk of wood. Other times it's a uh, a piece of metal that we wear around our necks. Sometimes it's a uh, picture, you know, that we hang up on our wall. That's a tangible thing. Something that you can see. Something that you can touch. But the cross of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, represents something far beyond that. It's the fullest expression of the love of God. It's the basis of our salvation. Through it, we obtain the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the mercy of God. By it, we have the freedom from the penalty of sin... And also its power over us. And finally, because of it, we can worship God freely. Because that wall of partition of sin that separated us from God has been broken down. And now we can have a personal relationship with God. Isn't that something we can be thankful for? Amen. Now before going any further, I want to explain something here. I want to explain to you the difference between tangibles and intangibles. Tangibles are the things in this physical world that we can see, we can hear, we can touch, etc. And intangibles are the opposite. They're in the realm beyond the five senses intangibles. I'm thinking of an illustration of uh, baseball, the sport of baseball. How many of you like baseball? I'm a big baseball fan. And in baseball, they have five basic skills. And those are run, throw, field, hit, and hit with power. You know, if a uh, player has all five of those tools, they call him a five-tool player. When I was playing baseball, I think I was a zero-tool player because I couldn't do any of those well. But I still love the game anyway. Now, when baseball scouts, they're looking for people to sign into a baseball organization, a baseball team, and that's something that they can measure. They can measure how he can run by a stopwatch, or maybe how many bases he can steal. They can ma- measure how hard he throws by, you know, clocking his fastball. See how hard he can throw that baseball. They can measure his fielding by looking at his fielding percentage, and of course his uh, batting. You know how how he can hit by both his uh, batting average and his on-base percentage. And finally, they can measure his power by the number of home runs he hits. But how do they measure the intangibles? How do they measure his heart? How do they measure his desire to excel? How do they measure his work ethic? how hard he's willing to work at his craft so that he can be all that he can be. How do they measure his baseball instincts? You know, they just voted uh, uh, not too long ago Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees into the Hall of Fame. And I couldn't stand his team, so uh, I was not his fan, but I have to look at him and I would say that he had better baseball instincts than any other player I've ever seen. He just always seemed to be at the right place at the right time and making the right play. And he gave his all out there on the field. He did it because he wanted to go out there and win. How do you measure a players desire to win? And you know it's not just about baseball but what about your heart for God brothers and sisters? How big is your heart for God? You may not have the education I've had, but that doesn't mean that you can't achieve great things for the kingdom of God if you have your heart in it. Now, I'm thinking of the story of a girl that I once read. I think it was a short story that I read way back in uh, grade school. And the story has always stuck with me. It was the story of this uh, young girl who was an immigrant to the United States. I don't know how old she was supposed to be. Eight years, ten years, something like that. And she. they put her into school. And uh, she was... Uh, Uh, I can't remember the country it was from. It seems to me it was a a European country, maybe Germany or something like that. And, of course, she came into that school and she spoke English with an accent. And the other kids made fun of her, you know, and her accent. You know, that's kind of human nature. How many of you know the the children can be cruel, too? You know, so they made fun of her accent and drove drove her to tears sometimes and then it came, thanksgiving rolled around and the teacher stood in front, up in front of the class the wednesday before thanksgiving and she had each student stand up in turn and say what they were thankful for well, one boy said uh, you know he was thankful for his dog A girl stood up and said she was thankful for her doll. And so it went on down the line. Most of the kids were talking about this toy or uh, that toy or something, something tangible in their lives. And then they came to this little immigrant girl. And you know what she said? She said, I'm thankful that I can see. You know, it just took everybody aback. Because so many of these intangible things we take for granted, don't we? But what's more valuable? You know, I wouldn't trade a million dollars for my eyesight. I don't think anybody in this room would. I wouldn't trade a billion dollars or even all of the money in the world for my eyesight. Because that's something far more valuable to me than tangible things. Amen? As far as this matter of uh, toys I also recall something that occurred to me when I was a uh, young airman in uh, uh, Thailand. I was stationed there for a while and I remember one day the, one of the Thai civilians that worked there at the hospital where I worked at she asked if, uh, you know, we would uh, uh, want to go on a uh, trip with them, you know, a group uh, uh, of Thai people that were going up uh, to uh, north to visit some Thai temples. And so I went along too, and uh, I, we went to provincial capital, you know, I think it was Supanburi, that means something to Dolly, probably not to you, but it was maybe two or three hundred miles away from uh, uh, the airbase where I was. You know, we spent all night driving there. You know, slipped on the bus, and you know, we we got there, and I'm kind of sleepy, just staggering around, and uh, we went into this temple. You know, saw the uh, the monk, the saffron-robed monk. And then I went out into the kind of courtyard area, and there was a group of uh, uh, Thai children that were playing there in the courtyard. And I looked around, and they were laughing and giggling and having a good time. And you know what? I didn't see a single toy that was there. You know, today we give our, uh, uh, you know, babies and our uh, children we like, we like to give them toys you know, give them something that, tangible that they can amuse themselves and you know it, I, I looked around I didn't see any toys but these children that were there seemed to be happy, even happier than the children that I, I, I know about in America that, that have all these things you know they didn't need those tangible toys there they had each other They had the uh, uh, friendship and companionship of each other. And that was enough for them. They didn't need these tangible things. They had the intangibles. And that's what was important to them. And so my contention this morning is that the tangibles are something that are often far more valuable than the things that are tangible. Now, something that, that I think is both uh, tangible and intangible. Our families. Sure, there are pe- they are people that we can see and hear and touch. But they're intangibles that they bring into our lives too. You know, you can have a loving home. I grew up in a loving home. My father and lover, uh, mother loved me. But there's one thing that they didn't really give me in the home. And that was a godly home. A home that had a godly heritage. And I'm telling you, many of you are related to Grandma and Grandpa Tisi. And I want to tell you something. I envy you. Because they gave you a godly heritage. And that's something I really didn't have. My mother was a nominal Baptist. And when I say nominal, I don't mean that she wasn't saved. I'm convinced that she was saved. But you know, I never remember having family devotions in our home. I never remember seeing her pray or read the Bible. She did uh, share one scripture with me. In fact, not so coincidentally, that's the uh, scripture that I shared with you at the beginning. You know, Psalm 100. I remember her quoting that to me. But she never encouraged me. You know, I had a uh, right after I got saved, I had an unusual hunger for the Word of God. And if you can imagine a. Uh, eight-year-old boy plodding through the King James Version, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I don't remember her ever encouraging me to do that. I just did it on my own. My father didn't really get saved until maybe the final months of his life just before he passed away from lung cancer. And he openly challenged me about that. You know, he shied away from the gospel because he was scared to death of the concept of hell. And so he tried to run away from things. And I remember him coming up to me and he asking me one time, do you understand what you're reading? You know, like openly challenged me. You know, almost like he was saying, well, if you don't understand uh, what you're reading, why, why, why bother to read it? So, anyway, that was the kind of family that I grew up in. So, those of you that have had this godly upbringing in your home, you ought to thank God for that. That's an intangible that your family brings to the table with you. Now, the first intangible I want to share this morning is salvation and your salvation is maybe the most valuable thing that you have in this world how much is your soul worth to you it should be worth everything to you and having that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that when you pass on from this life you're going to be with him for all eternity now, my personal testimony about salvation, just quickly now. In March of 1958, I was just two months short of my uh, my seventh birthday. My family moved into a home. It was part of a brand new housing tract at the south end of... El Cajon, California. El Cajon is a suburb of San Diego, about 15 miles to the east. And we moved into that home, and naturally a lot of new families came moving in. In fact, just about everybody was a uh, young family. And right next door to us was a man, uh, well, not a man, (laughs) he he was a, a boy. Uh, just almost exactly my age if memory serves me correct he was six days older than I was his name was Johnny Pigeon you know it's kinda strange you know I was talking with uh, one of our friends and he was talking about how it's strange how he can remember all these things way back when but he couldn't remember you know the names of people that he brushed shoulders with these days well, I still remember this boy, his name was Johnny Pigeon. And maybe two or three months after we moved in together, he invited me to go with him to Sunday school at his church, the First Baptist Church of El Cajon. And I said yes, and so I went there. Now, Johnny Pigeon and his family moved away maybe within a year of when they. You know, they had first moved into that house next door. They moved up north to a city of Santa Rosa, which is 50 miles up north of uh, San Francisco. And I never saw them again. But Johnny and his family moved away. But I continued to go to that uh, Sunday school at that Baptist church. Later on, my sister also... Started attending, and then my mother, too. It turned out that she was from a Baptist background, too. They later, you know, uh, asked her she would serve on the board of deaconesses, which was a great honor, and she was just flabbergasted, but she readily said no. So we, the three of us were very much a part of that church for the next uh, uh, 12 years or so. Maybe a year and a half after I started attending the Sunday school there, the pastor of the church, his name was uh, Doctor Richard Ralph Shirk. I still remember him. We always called him just called him Doctor Shirk. The Doctor Shirk called a meeting of all the Sunday school classes together one Sunday morning, and instead of getting our usual Sunday school. Lessons, he preached to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't remember the details of that message, but it had to have been a message, you know, the basics. You know, we are all sinners. We've all rebelled against God. We're all under the penalty of death. But God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to perish on that cross for our sins. And that if we would accept his payment for our sins, we would obtain eternal life and go to heaven and be with him. And there's something that touched my heart and I went forward and I dedicated my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. This would have been in October of 1959. It was just short of eight and a half. And the next month, I would, uh, after receiving kind of a background you know about what it meant to be a Christian, which was all kind of Greek to me, you know I was baptized. be years later that I really found out what the Christian life was all about. But I got saved through Dr. Shirk. And just like the pigeon family that were only in my life for about a year, I think it was less than a year later, Dr. Shirk went home to be with the Lord. And so both entities were only in my life, maybe about a year. But God used them. And today I thank God for that pigeon family that was next door to us, that cared enough about me to invite me to that Sunday school. Class. I thank God for Dr. Shirk, who at that point was in the twilight of his life, but he lived long enough to lead me to Jesus Christ. Now, this is not about me, brothers and sisters. Look at your own life, your own heart, the story of salvation in your life. How did that come about? Who did God use? To bring you to Christ. And that's something every one of you should be thankful for. Amen? Are you thankful for your salvation? And today if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you can meet him today. And receive his free gift of salvation. And maybe that's the very reason that God brought you here today. You can know Him personally, Jesus Christ personally, and the Father. You can begin your relationship with Him and experience eternal life that will culminate you living together with Him for all eternity instead of being eternally separated from Him. The choice is yours. Intangible number two, the gift of God's love. Now regardless of whether you can feel it, the love of God is everywhere. Just because He is everywhere. And what's the Bible say about God? 1 John chapter 4 tells us that God is love. So His love is everywhere too. Amen? says in Psalm one hundred thirty nine verses seven and eight Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven you are there, if I make my bed in hell, behold you are there also God is everywhere, therefore his love is everywhere. Now, I'm thinking of another occasion in my life, too, when I really felt the love of God. And this was uh, in the uh, early, uh, or the spring of 1987. I had applied for a missionary appointment. You know, I'd always felt that God had called me to the mission field specifically to Dolly's home country of Thailand. And that was my dream in life, to be an Assemblies of God missionary in Thailand. And we'd applied about a year earlier, and we knew that the time was drawing near where we would receive the decision that the Division of Foreign Missions there in Springfield, Illinois, or Springfield, uh, Missouri, would make the decision whether to accept us or reject us. And I remember going, you know, at the time, this would have been on a Monday, I was going with a man that was involved in a Chi Alpha ministry, that's the Assemblies of God outreach to university campuses. And I was gonna go with him to, uh, uh, you know, minister that particular evening Had a bit of time, so instead of uh, driving home, you know, which was a good half hour away, I would just go down to the beach there at Coronado. I worked at North Island Naval Air Station, and I would go out there to the beach and just sit down and pray. And I remember this particular evening sitting down and I'm praying about the decision that was going to be made. And you know what? I felt Jesus there more strongly, more tangibly than I have ever felt His presence before. It was like He sat down on that sand dune and put His arm around me. And I felt three things. I felt, number one, His love. Don't ever tell me that the love of God is not real. I know it because I felt it. I felt his presence like I've never felt it before. And like I said, it was like he put his arm around me and began speaking to me in my ear. And he said, you know, I felt that love. Number two, I felt him say that his will was going to be done you know, with the decision that the Division of Foreign Missions made. And I said, God, if they turn me down, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is everything I've been working for for the last eight years. And I felt his assurance that, you know, he would guide and direct me. And as it turned out, we were turned down. And then two weeks after that, the people that I worked with there... uh, I was a contracted uh, computer programmer. They said, uh, you know, Cliff, we like your work. Uh, we want to offer you a an appointment, a civil service appointment. And that would allow me to uh, work in civil service for the next 23 years, and finally to uh, retire uh, through them. And the, the last thing that I felt was I felt like he was telling me, that he was pleased with me because I was willing to give up my life to serve him on the foreign field. But the presence and the love of God was just so real to me at that point. I shared with you last week, Jude chapter 21, the first part there, keep yourself in the love of God. That doesn't mean that the love of God isn't there all the time. It means that we build up barriers between us and the love of God because of our sin. And then we cannot feel it. And that's a reason, brothers and sisters, to put away sin in your life. Put it away and then learn to get quiet before Him... And feel it. And maybe God will give you an experience like I had uh, uh, so many years ago. You know, when I'm in prayer, I try to listen to good sound Christian worship music and try to feel the presence of the Lord and try to feel His love for me. So, are you thankful for His love, brothers and sisters? Yes. Amen. Do you ever tell Him that? You ever tell him, "Thank you, Lord, for your your love." That last song that we sang here before going into the main uh, uh, service, it was about thanking God for His love, thanking Him for His love for us and the things that He does for us. Intangible number three: righteousness. You know we not only have a God who is holy and righteous, but He also gives us the option of being holy and righteous just as He is. And we do this by receiving His righteousness by faith. Now, I've shared a lot about righteousness over the, uh, the, the last few years since I've been pastor here. How many of you remember the messages I've ta- taught you about righteousness? Okay. It's not our righteousness that cuts it with God. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which we receive by faith. Isaiah 64, verse 6, But we are like, all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So, That's what our righteousness is, our self-righteous, our good works, if you will. That's all just like filthy rags. The only thing that matters to God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61, verse verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me. He has clothed me. We don't clothe ourselves. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And finally, not having my own righteousness, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. He just listed his pedigree. He had this big pedigree of how he could be righteous before God based on the law. And then it hinged on verse 7. He said, but what things were gained for me, those I counted loss for Christ. Philippians 3, verse 7. Just before what he writes here in verse 9. Not having my own righteousness, which is based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Brothers and sisters, I think my God that my righteousness is not based on my own works. So many of the religions of the world, they they think that you kind of balance out your good deeds and your bad deeds and if your good deeds are better, you know, more than your bad deeds, then you'll go to whatever eternity, you know, is envisioned by these different religions. But that's not true. I know what my bad deeds are. And you know something? Once you say something, brothers and sisters, it's said. Once you do something, it's done. And there's no amount of good works that will ever over undo those things that you have done and said. That's why you need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he offers that to you today. If you've never received that then you need to do that. Amen? So I thank God that my righteousness is not based on my works, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which I appropriate by faith. Intangible number three, mercy. God's mercy is there also available for us to claim at any time. Never demand justice from God. If you received justice from him, you would be damned for all eternity. You know that? You know, I shared with you that story of the woman that threw herself in front of Napoleon's carriage and said, Mercy, mercy! Great Napoleon, you know, uh, I, I ask for mercy for my husband. And he says to her, What is your husband's name? And she said his name and his face clouded. And he says, your husband is a traitor and deserves to die. And she said, great Napoleon, I didn't ask for justice. I asked for mercy. So you either get God's justice or you get his mercy. One of the two. That mercy is also always available no matter how far you stray from him. Okay, and there's parables that illustrate this. There's two parables I would just say in brief. I won't read them. Uh, you know, don't have the time. Uh, one is found in Luke chapter 18, verses 8, through 9 through 10. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, you know, lists all of it, these things that he think justify him in the sight of God. You know, going down through the law. And then saying, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything that I own. And not like this tax collector over here. And the tax collector's over there to the side. The tax collector just beats on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man, that tax collector, went down forgiven rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And the other is the parable of the prodigal son. And we would all know the story. We have probably all heard it one time or another. The younger son demands that uh, his father give him the inheritance that was due him. And so the father obliges him and he goes to, away to a far country and wastes all of that money on riotous living, you know, wine, women, and song. And finally he runs out of money Runs out of friends too, because they were fair weather friends. And he hires himself out to a citizen. The citizen, by the way, in the parable represents Satan. And how we get into the pig pens of life when we stray away from the Lord. And said he was in want. He wanted just to feed himself with the pods that the pigs ate. And nobody gave him anything. And then it says he came to his senses. And he returned to his father. He wanted to hire himself out just as a servant to the Lord, uh, to his uh, father. And his father, of course, represents God. And his his father received him back again as his son. And that's an illustration that no matter how far you stray from the Lord... You can always come back. And I know that personally because that happened to me. I strayed away from God during my own, uh, early adult life. And I got involved in a lot of things I should not have gotten involved with. But I came back to Him and God restored it to me. And gave me far beyond <clears throat> what I imagined. Okay, intangible number five. Freedom. God's grace, what's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that you receive from God that you do not deserve. It promises freedom from the penalty of sin. And therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read that in Romans chapter 5 verse 1. His grace also delivers us from the power of sin. And Lord Lord knows, we need deliverance from the power of sin. Amen? You know, Edwin Lewis Cole, founder of Christian Men's Network, he said uh, something that's always stuck with me. He says, sin always promises to please and serve, but always ends up enslaving and dominating. Sin is a cruel taskmaster, brothers and sisters. Another thing I've heard, uh, I've shared this with you too. says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you are willing to pay. And even the Apostle Paul suffered... From the pull of sin in his life. And he, t- he shares that with, uh, with everyone in Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7. And he concludes the story of the war of sin within his being. The second half of uh, chapter 7. He concludes it with verses uh, 24 and uh, uh, 25. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many thank God that he has given you, opened up the way for you to overcome sin in your life. Now our nation was founded on freedom too. Freedom. Freedom. How many of you like the freedom that we enjoy here? Our Declaration of Independence and Constitution were founded on the principles of God's Holy Word. That's why it's written in there, the freedom that we have. And the more the Word of God you put in your life, the more freedom you have. Jimmy Swagger once said, he said, Much Bible, Referring to a country. Much Bible, much freedom. Little Bible, little freedom. No Bible, no freedom. The Bill of Rights guaranteed us the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, the right to bear arms, and freedom from unlawful search and seizure. And you know what? The extreme left. I talked to you more about them a couple of weeks ago. They've been trying to take away those freedoms through any means that they can. They've tried to suppress voices. You know, freedom of the press. You know, that's kind of exemplified by conservative radio and uh, TV stations. They've been trying to suppress that. They've been trying to suppress our voices on social media. Look what they did to President Trump. They just re- restored his uh, Twitter account just recently. It was suspended for many, uh, for, you know, uh, months and months. Doesn't it seem odd to you that they uh, uh, suspend his account, but they don't suspend the account of the Ayatollahs over there in Iran? Who are shouting death to America, you know, death to Israel? You know, they say, well, you know, Trump's tweets are full of hate speech. Well, death to America and death to Israel are not hate speech. I don't know what is. You've got a warped sense of priorities. And they're up in arms now about uh, Elon Musk. What did Elon Musk do? He just bought t- Twitter. Why did he buy Twitter? because he wanted it to be a free and open square. And the people on the left don't like that. They just want themselves to be heard. They don't want conservative voices to be heard. So they're up in arms about that. You know, freedom of religion. During COVID, what do they do? Now, we shut our church down for one month, and it was uh, against my better judgment. In fact, uh, Pastor Sandra said that if she had still been pastor, she wouldn't have done it. But I, I did that because the people there at uh, uh, district headquarters had uh, uh, strongly suggested that I do it. And I was trying to get my uh, uh, credentials reinstated, so I kind of had to play you know, a team player. But I only shut it down for a month. And I tried to give all of you uh, messages to keep your spirits fed during that time. But they, you know, what we experienced here was nothing compared to what they experienced in California and New York. Where they demanded that these churches be shut down. And they threw, even threw some people in jail because they wouldn't follow. And they said, then they opened up the churches. But you can't sing. You know, because when you sing, you open up your mouth and you spread all those COVID germs. This is what they were talking about. <laughs> Just ridiculous. And it's that's Satan that's speaking there. Satan is trying to suppress the freedom of religion here. And the far left is trying to do the same thing too. Freedom of assembly, you know. They say you can't come to church. That, that's denying you freedom of assembly. And recently, you know, just past week, there was another, you know, uh, uh, he was a comedian. And, they, you know, they knew that he was a conservative. So Antifa gets out there and they, they take uh, social media and they talk about how bad this is and how they're going to, uh, you know, cause all kinds of problems. And so they shut it down. They shut down the freedom of assembly. This is happening right now, brothers and sisters. What about our Second Amendment rights? You know, Beto Rourke gets up there during the debates of 2020 and he said, Hell yes, we're going to uh, take away your AR 15. And it's only a step, uh, a further step to ban all of our handguns and other uh, firearms. They're trying to get rid of the Second Amendment. And as this comes at the same time that they're saying, defund the police. So there's less of a police presence. So what do you do if somebody breaks into your home? How are you going to defend yourself? You don't have the police. You don't have any firearms in your house. This is what they're doing. They're trying to rule over us. They're trying to suppress us. And finally, you know, unlawful... Uh, uh, search and seizure. What do you think they did to President Trump? For no reason at all, they came to his house and they went through it like a fine tooth comb. He even went through his wife's wardrobe. So that's the Fourth Amendment. You know, gives us freedom from unlawful search and seizure. And now they're going to try to indict him. Department of Justice. This is happening right now in front of our eyes, brothers and sisters. And we better get busy and do what we can and pray like never before for our country. Because these freedoms are being taken away from us. Now how many of you are glad that you live in a country where we do still have these freedoms? And get busy, you know, lest they be taken away from us. Hallelujah, okay. Finally, intangible number six, the freedom to worship. And this is perhaps the greatest of our freedoms here in the United States of America, the freedom to worship God as we please. Now we don't really need a government, our nation and our government to sanction this because we are already free in God to worship Him at any time, in any place we choose. We are urged, and when I say we are urged, I really mean we are commanded to worship the Lord. You know, it's not an option. You know, we saw that in that psalm. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart and enter His courts with praise. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're commanded to worship Him and to give Him thanks. You know, and I say this Kind of in conclusion here. When I got serious from the Lord, I uh, bought a bunch of tracks that I found. Uh, I didn't find them. I bought them at the Christian bookstore. And I remember there's one track that I bought that was urging people everywhere to read the Word. And it's, it talked about how people, you know, in certain countries, like communist nations, you know, this is back, I think, in 1975, the year that I really got it together with the Lord. And of course, the Iron Curtain had not fallen yet. And you had all of these Eastern, uh, uh, you know, Eastern Europe uh, countries and the Soviet Union and also Red China. And it talked about these people that were imprisoned for their fate. And said that their only source of comfort during that time was reciting scriptures that they had memorized when they had access to them. And I would say too that if it ever does happen to us that, you know, and that's why we need to fill our hearts with the the Word of God, but we can also fill our hearts with uh, songs of praise. And this is why I push worship service so much. Some of you still haven't gotten a message. You don't come here for the worship service. And the worship service, to me, is just about as important as the preaching from this pulpit. Now get a hold of these songs, you know. I've got a whole collection of them, and if you want any of them, I can give them to you. And that's what I do, you know. And, you know, I listen to that worship time during my prayer prayer time every day. And, you know, many times during the course of the day, I'll start hearing these songs play in my, my mind. And if ever came down to it that I got imprisoned for the cause of Jesus Christ, I know that these two things are what will get me going. The scripture that I've memorized and the songs that I have memorized. Amen? that brings you uh, you know uh, you in harmony with God. and if you suffer from things like depression, you know listen to Christian music. I would venture to say that will help you get out of that depression real quick because you can't be depressed and uh, at the same time worship the Lord at the same time. So I thank God, for that freedom to worship Him anytime, anywhere. Okay, so let me just wrap things up. This Thanksgiving, instead of f- focusing on the tangibles in life, like the physical things that we have, and really, you know, in reality, all of the physical things in, that we have in life, we're nothing more than stewards. We don't own those things. Right? says that we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out. We're given a physical body, that's it, and we even leave that behind. So stop living for temporary things, temporal things. Start living for eternal. And stop praising the Lord and thanking Him for these intangibles. And I've covered just a half a dozen here this morning. But there's really a lot more that I could have been sharing, but we don't have time for that. I think I've given you enough to think and pray and meditate on now. So let's remember and thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ, which acts as a key to all the rest of the things. Our salvation. Think about how you got saved and praise God for these circumstances and the people that God brought into your life that led you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him for His love. His love is always there for you to reach out and receive, no matter what you have done. His righteousness, that's all available to you if you appropriate it by faith. His mercy, again, no matter what you have done or how far you have strayed, you have that mercy of God if you just come back to it. His freedom from the penalty of sin, as well as its power, and thank God that we do live in a nation—at least at the present time—where we are free to do have those different rights that we have. Uh, uh, I went over in the Bill of Rights, and finally, the ability to worship Him regardless of your circumstances. So.